you want to do an ultra, like you're gonna make it work. Like it's not a question of if you have time or not. Like if you want to do it, then just make it work. Um, so I would tell them first to decide. And with that, I would say like make sure that you're doing this out of the love for it and not because like you have to. Like if you start training for a race and to find out you hate it, then who cares that you spent a hundred bucks on a race? Like, don't do it. Like this might not be for you. So decide, figure it out. If it's for you, make sure you're doing this for the love of it. Running a hundred miles seems impossible and maybe even kind of crazy. And it is, but we believe in big crazy dreams. That's why we ran a hundred miles. It was such a life-changing experience for us. We decided to devote this podcast to preparing and inspiring you to run your first ultra race. Are you ready to feel the highest highs and the lowest lows? Are you ready to do what you once thought was impossible? Are you ready for your trail to 100? Thank you for joining us here on Trail to 100. I'm Jacob Bateman, and joined along with me is my beautiful and lovely wife, Melody. Hello. And joined along with us, we have a special guest today that we are very excited about. We have Mike McKnight here with us today. And first off, just to let you guys know a little bit about Mike McKnight, he's won the triple crown of 200s twice which means you run the it's three 200 mile races in like a three month span i'm fairly certain mike can correct me if i'm wrong and uh he has the course record for the moab 240 he's won first place in multiple ultras he's run over 100 miles on zero calories um i personally feel like mike is I like to call him the goat of ultra running, but uh, I know he would never admit to that. Uh, but most importantly, what me and Melody love most about Mike is he's just an overall good guy, a humble guy, a husband, a father, and a friend to lots of people and just a positive influence in this world. Um, Mike McKnight, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. That was quite the intro. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it is quite the intro, but here's the thing, Mike, you've done all those amazing things, which to me just blow my mind. And I failed to even mention an FKT on the Colorado trail as well, but we don't want to talk to you about really any of those things today. Because, you know, you've been on lots of podcasts. We know, we already know how awesome you are. We know about all your accomplishments, but what we want to talk about is your failures. And we want, we want to talk about when you first started running ultras and what, what Mike McKnight was like in the very beginning, make you relatable to, to the average Joe's who listen to this podcast. We're going to bring you back down to earth. So, uh, I hope you can bear with us. No, I love that idea. Cool. <laughs> awesome. So Mike, um, we'll just start off with the most basic question of questions. Uh, why did you start running where like when did this when did the urge to get out running like how early when did it happen and uh just take us there yeah so just running in general or ultra running let's just start running in general real quick uh yeah so i grew up overweight and um, didn't do a lot of running but roughly it was my freshman year in high school 
I kind of started getting tired of all the fat jokes. Um, you know, freshman kids are mean. <laughs> and yeah. the, the way high school works up here, like I know it's kind of weird here in Utah, but I don't know if it was the same for you both, but we had like junior high school, which was eighth and ninth grade. And then high school was 10th, 11th and 12th. Okay. And so finishing up my freshman year, I was getting ready to go to high school. And I was like terrified that the seniors were going to be even meaner than the, the freshmen that I was with. <laughs> so, so I, I went to that summer between my freshman and sophomore year, decided I wanted to lose some weight. And I, one of the ways I did that was I started running and just be like, I ended up losing about 40 pounds that summer. And just because, just because I associated running with like kind of a punishment, like I had to do this to take off all this weight that I put on. Mm. Uh, As soon as I lost it all, I just kind of like started eating cleaner and I didn't run anymore after that, just because it was kind of a negative, um, uh, what's the word? Like. I, I paired I paired it with negative thoughts because it yeah. was something I had to do out of negativity. Um, so I stopped running at that point. I tried doing track, but I didn't enjoy it. Um, so after I finished high school, I stopped running again for about three years. And then when I turned 21, my sister was doing a half marathon and uh, she must have just caught me on the right day because she asked me to train with her and do the half marathon with her. So that's kind of when I started training for a race. And then that's when I started to like have fun with it. So that's kind of the, the in and outs of how I got to running. And then that, that that's the point where I started doing it consistently. I was about 21 years old and I was training for my first half marathon. So what made that switch of running is this negative thing? It's this form of punishment to this is fun. So I think like, so I served a, a two-year mission and uh just but like i found out on that mission i had a bad back uh and i part of me thinks that was so i also did football in high school and i think i just got hit too much and uh, just caused my back to hurt and so i found i discovered on my mission that when i would run that it would like alleviate the back pain and so like i mean you could say like one could view that as a negative thing like here i am again i'm having to run because i'm in pain but like for some reason, like, I don't know if it was just because I was on my mission and I learned to be more grateful, but I just like, kind of viewed that as like, this is awesome because like, I feel good when I'm doing this. So I'm going to keep doing this. So I think that's where the, the switch came was like, it, it made me feel good physically. That makes me want to shout amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> I just, cause so many people are like, oh, I can't run. I have, I have a bad back or, or my knees hurt. And, but the thing is, it makes you feel better. Running is so good for you. I think that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, obviously everybody's different. Um, Like I've had a lot of people who message me because like, you know, another part of my story is breaking my back. And like, I've had a lot of people who have severe back issues that message me and they're just like, how did you do it? Because I'm trying it and it just hurts so much. So like, obviously like everybody has their unique story. And unfortunately some people like it, it does hurt them more, which I'm, I'm grateful I was not in that situation and it actually helped me feel better. Yeah, that's a good point. You're right. Everyone is in a different situation. So you mentioned breaking your back. Um, For those listeners who don't know and have never heard this story, could you run through what happened there with how do you break your back and then become one of the 
top ultra runners in the world. How does how the, how the heck does that happen? Yeah. So yeah, I I was I'm into skiing, being uh, a Utah boy, and uh, when I was in college up here at Utah State, I like I always I always advertised myself as a part time student and a full time skier. <laughs> like every winter, I do part time college classes. I would quit my job. And then I would just go skiing every single day up here at the local ski resort. (laughs) And it was just one of those days that I was up there with some friends. And um, this is before I was married. We met a girl up there and I was just wanting to be a show off. And (laughs) we went to the terrain park and there was a jump there that I've hit dozens of times with success. Um, It was a pretty big jump, but like this day I decided to be a goober and instead of like carving as I was approaching it, like I just bombed that hill and hit the jump to see how far I could go. And just as I was like getting onto the jump, I realized I was going way too fast. Um, it was one of those tabletop jumps where you hit a jump and then it's a gap and then you have a landing. And as I was hitting the jump, like I was like, I'm going to overshoot this landing like way too far. Um, so like I panicked and I leaned back and I, I launched off the jump leaning back. And it was like, it was a super icy day. So there was no powder, um, went floating, like skis up in the air. And I landed flat on my spine, um, basically landing on concrete because of how icy it was that day. And like instantly knew something was wrong. My, My buddies went to the ski patrol and they threw me on the toboggan and skied me to the bottom of the mountain. And by the time I got there, there was a ambulance that, took me to the hospital where they did some x-rays and um sure enough I shattered my, my L1 vertebrae and oh. I mean so luckily like the lucky thing about this was like the way I landed my vertebrae like a hundred percent um burst away from my spinal column and the doctor told me if I like just landed a little bit differently and it burst inward then it would have paralyzed me so super lucky in that sense but Ooh. Yeah. Next day had surgery. They put in some rods and screws in my spine and took out part of my hip bone and fused that to my spine. And that's the story. Sounds painful. It was, it sucked. Man. I've, I've heard that story so many times just on different podcasts and and things. And every time you tell that story, there's just a few more, there's different details. I didn't realize that, um, it was shattered away from your spinal cord and that you could have been paralyzed if that didn't happen. That's so crazy. And the thought I had is God wanted you to be an ultra runner. <laughs> yeah. I'm grateful for that too. And <laughs> the thing is like, like the people that like, I really go into detail about how I started ultra running. Um, like I always say that it was because I broke my back that I got into ultra running because, um, like I had this plan. I wanted to walk onto the track team at Utah state. And so I had this plan and I was training for the short distance and, um, like I had a job, everything was good, broke my back. The doctor told me, cause I asked him when I could start running again, since I was like, at this point I was training to try to walk onto the track team. And the doctor told me that I would be in bed for months, um, up to a year even, and that I shouldn't even think about running again for a year. Um, he advised me that basically I was going to be in bed for a long time. So he, he, like, he told me to incomplete my college classes 
Um, this was February of 2012. So I just, that means I deferred my current college classes at the time, like exactly a year later. Um, I lost my job. So, I mean, long story short, I started running three and a half weeks after my surgery. And about two and a half, three months later, I was like running 10 miles a day kind of a thing. Um, so my recovery was pretty like nothing short of a miracle, but. Wow. <laughs> I would say that's a miracle. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah I got super lucky. Um, but because I didn't have a job and I didn't have college classes, I just started running a lot every day. And like, I discovered, I actually like enjoyed running 10 plus miles a day. And, um, you know, like I said, I lost my job because I broke my back and then I ended up getting a new job and it was at that new job that I met an ultra runner who told me about ultra running. That was my first time learning about it. So like, you're never going to know what happens like with the different paths you take in life. But like, you know, the way that was set up, breaking my back, losing my job, finding a new job and meeting this person, like that was yeah. like, kind of the path that led me to ultra running, ironically enough. That's awesome. Who is that ultra runner who told you about it? I'm just curious. His name's Cody Draper. I'm sure you've seen his name on Strava or he does yeah, a lot. He's I've actually the he's actually the new race director for the Bear 100. Oh, cool. okay. Cool. Shout out to Cody. He yes. he made you who you are today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he, I don't know how much he remembers of this, but like he would invite. So when I met him, he was training for a 50 miler. And then uh -huh. he was actually, we met in June. He was training for a 50 miler, like the following week or two. And then he was also signed up for the bear 100, which was September of that year. And so like, he was just like blowing my mind because I thought the marathon was the, the top distance that everybody trained for. And he's over here training for hundreds of miles and so he, he tried getting me to join him. Oh, so the other thing too, that blew my mind was that he was trail running. Like, I didn't know that was a thing I uh, thought, like, on the trails and you, yeah. Roads. And so he, he intimidated me quite a bit and it took a good three to six weeks of him, like continuously inviting me to join him for a run before I finally took him up on it. And go uh, Cody for being persistent. <laughs> yeah, I guess he saw, he, I guess he saw something in me. <laughs> so then what did like, cause you know, a lot of us, a lot of people have met ultra runners. A lot of runners have met ultra runners and have heard about it and been like, no, nah, that's not for me. So what about like when Cody was telling you about this 50 miler that he was training for and doing it on trails, like, what about it like enticed you to be like, hmm, maybe I want to do that? That's a good question. I don't know if I've ever been asked that. Was it? So I think the thing that like really enticed me about it was just the trail running aspect of it. Like when he kept inviting me and when I finally took him up on the offer, like I don't think I went into that thinking like I, I, now that I'm doing this, I'm going to try to do a 50 miler one day. It was just the concept of trail running. And then, you know, I did the trail run and, you know, the beauty of it was like, like uncomparable to road running. Yeah. And then just like the fact, like I noticed like how much less sore I, so I, I mean, I obviously felt sore in a different way because of all the uphill that I wasn't used to, but like the pounding on trail is obviously so much easier on your body than on the road. So just like the combinations of everything that made me fall in love with trail running. And that just kind of like naturally led me to start looking into ultras since that's where the majority of ultras happen. 
Okay. And it sounds like you kind of already had that love for the mountains and the outdoors with your like ski bum phase. Right. So that kind of transferred over. Yeah. I mean, I didn't grow up with that for sure. Uh, like I, I mean, it's funny because growing up, I always like was pictured myself as a city boy and that I told myself I was going to move to New York, told myself no like, a like, city oh. boy from Cornish, Utah. Yeah. I hated living in Cornish. Like, <laughs> That's too funny. So much. And like, I, like, I've never, like, I mean, I could be wrong. There might be a time I'm missing, but like thinking back to my childhood, like I can't think of one time that I came to the mountains and hiked over here. And when I say over here, like Cornish is like on the other side of the valley away from the mountains where I live like below the mountains now. Okay. But, but so yeah, like growing up, like I can't even, I can't think of one time that I came in here to, to enjoy a hike. So I, I don't think I developed that love until after my mission. Okay. Do you think, I don't mean to get us way off track here, but do you think growing up on a farm and just being on your feet all the time and and maybe not getting a lot of sleep because you have to get up early and do you feel like that has helped you in your ultra running? Do you think just having that experience from a young age? Yeah, definitely. Like I, I hear a lot of people talk about their weakness being like, I can't function off of less than eight hours of sleep. And obviously that's like, you know, the gold standard, you want to get quality sleep, especially when you're trying to recover. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I grew up functioning off of like an hour of sleep, a lot of nights where I'd be out having fun with my friends. And, you know, the thing with like people who aren't familiar with Cache Valley, like Cornish is a good 30 minutes away from everything. And the majority of my friends grew up, you know, in, in the city of Logan. And so I, would come in and hang out with them. And then I'd have to make the 30 minute drive out home. And by the time I get out there, it was like, you know, 1230 and I was getting up at 1:30 to go milk the cows. So I would end up just like getting on the couch and watching TV. Cause yeah, <laughs> I, you know, like I learned from experience, it was easier to just pull an all nighter versus like going to sleep for an hour. <laughs> That's <laughs> so, funny. Yeah. I've had, I've had a lot of experience doing um, stuff off of a little sleep. So I think that, you know, especially in these 200 mile races, when you get to that second night and sometimes that third night, like that's definitely carried over and something that I've been able to capitalize on. Do you think that's something you could train? Like, could an athlete like slowly get less and less sleep until they can function on like five hours of sleep a night? Um, so I don't know if it's wise to like try to do that. Um, I'm just curious. No, yeah, I know. So like, but I will say though, that it is wise to like, um, strategically, like if you want to get into 200 mile races, then it's good to strategically do stuff like that. So I want to say you want to try to like train yourself to be able to function off of five hours of sleep a night. Um, what I would say that you'd want to do though, is like train yourself once or twice a month as you get closer to the race to function off of five hours of sleep, like occasionally. So to go into further detail about that and what I'm saying, like, you know, I'm a coach and a lot of the people I'm coaching are preparing for their first 200. And Mm -hmm. so what I'll do with them, um, once a month, sometimes twice a month, depending on how well they're adapting to it, is I, I plan what I call sleep deprivation training runs. So like Friday night, I have them go out at 10, 1030 at night. 
tell them to go run for two hours, um, finish up around 12.30, get inside, shower, get in bed. They're getting in bed around 1 a.m. And then they're going to get up again about 5, 5.30. Uh, so they're getting four to five hours of sleep and then they're going to go for another like three hour run. So they're, they're training themselves to get used to like, first of all, going to bed, um, like right after running and then waking up shortly thereafter and continuing running, which is something that you have to do to get ready for a 200 because you do that so much. Um, and then, yeah, just functioning off of little sleep, like getting four hours of sleep that night and still running and trying to perform that next day. So I think it's good to do stuff like that occasionally, but like you don't want to like get to a point where you're used to five hours of sleep every single night. That is golden, golden, because that's a big thing that makes road running and ultra running totally different, right? Um, you don't fall asleep in a marathon. So yeah. I, I feel like you don't, you don't hear about sleep different deprivation training. I I've never heard that before. It, it totally makes sense though. That's awesome. Yeah. And I mean, if you think of the hundred mile races, like, like you don't necessarily even like some people do, like there's some people I've met that like, if they don't get a full night's sleep, like they're, they're done for, <laughs> but <laughs> my experience, like most people can figure out how to pull an all nighter and run a hundred mile race without needing to sleep. Uh, that's definitely when you get into those 200 mile distances where you're doing a second night, a third night, some people are doing a fourth night. That's, that's definitely something that you need to plan for and train for and get better at. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. That would make sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So then rewinding just a little bit, what was the first ultra that you ended up? So you, you started running on trails. You l- fell in love with the beauty of being out there. What was the first ultra that you signed up for? Uh, the Logan peak race. Okay. Um, I mean, there's always debate out there from people who say anything less than a 50 K is not an ultra, but it's an ultra. Yeah. If it's more than a marathon, it's an ultra in my book and Logan peak. It's just like, it's a 28 miler. And like you gain about 7,000 feet of climbing. in that. Oh, yeah. So it's definitely a steep one. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. And did, did that intimidate you at all when you signed up for it? Or were you just kind of like, whatever, I'm just going to go out there and run this. So I never did a marathon before my first ultra. And I like the longest run I'd done going into that race was 20 miles. Um, so yeah, I was definitely like extremely nervous about how that would go. And, um, my goal was to do that race in five and a half hours and I did it in four forty-five. Wow. So, like, nice. It ended up going like really well actually. And, you know, seeing that success with it is kind of what made me want to start doing it more and more. But, but yeah, like I, I did that half marathon race with my sister then skip the marathon and let straight in. just like dove it. in. Yeah. I mean, that's a theme with ultra runners. Ultra runners just like the go big or go home thing. And they just jump right into it. <laughs> yeah. You know, you don't want to think about it too much. Cause that's when you psych yourself out. Right. Will you tell us a little bit more about, so you said you were nervous, but what did that mean exactly? Like, did you feel nauseous? Could you not sleep? Was it like that level of nervous or was it you're like, oh, I'm kind of nervous, but whatever happens, happens. Yeah, it was more that last thing. <clears throat> like okay. I wasn't losing sleep over it. I just, you know, just 
I think that really the only time I got nervous was just like on that 20 mile run that I did. Um, like I remember the trail I was on. I remember like the temperature that day. And like, I just remember how spent I was. Cause like I jumped from like 13 miles to 20 miles. Um, and then like, you know, a week and a half later was going to be the actual race. So I just remember how tired I was and like just trying to imagine like for one thing that run <clears throat> was like 2,500 feet of game in 20 miles. And it was like, you know, I'm going to do six times or not six times this, I'm going to do four times this in a couple of weeks and only in six additional miles as well. So like, it's going to be a lot steeper than what I'm used to. And so it was just that unknown that scared me. And it was really only on that long run that I was doing where I felt it. Um, I probably didn't sleep good the night before and had the typical race pre-race jitters, but um, yeah. Yeah. That is, okay. It's just a pretty typical nervousness. It's nothing major. Yeah. Do you think that going into your first ultra, not knowing what to expect, do you think that's scarier or do you think it's scarier going into an ultra now that you've done an ultra and now you know what to expect? I think there's a middle ground. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, like, I think like, you know, so I, I've done... I think I just hit number 50. I think I've done 50 ultras, um, wow. 51 maybe, but you know, I've done over 50 ultras now. And so at this point, um, especially since I've gotten my diet nailed down and I'm like confident that my gut's not going to freak out, like mm-hmm. I'm going into it confident, but I would say like, you know, there was this middle phase of like, you know, number two to number 27 or whatever, where I was like pretty consistently nervous going into it because like I started developing stomach issues. Like I would say the first ultra I did, I had no issues. Like that one as perfect as it could, especially for a first ultra. But then like, you know, number two on, like I was just having issues almost with every single race. So like, it just got to this point where it was just like, okay, what's going to happen this time? And it did start to bother me a little bit, but you know, fast forward to ultra number 30 and beyond, like it's getting a lot easier and I'm a lot more confident with it. So so I think definitely it's it's harder to know what's going to happen, but if you just stick with it and get consistent with it, like you're going to get to a point where you're confident in it and like you're pretty confident there's not going to be any issues. So you're saying it takes about 30 ultra races to be confident <laughs> in what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly 30. Oh man. Oh, I feel kind of overwhelmed. <laughs> See, we decided, well, we did our first hundred in 2020 and it was self support. It was self-supported because our race was canceled and we're so scared to sign up for an actual hundred because we know what to expect now. It's way scarier than it was signing up the first time we yeah. noticed. So, but I kind of want to dive into, um, the things like the, the races that you had and the things that you learned to get to where you are. So in these 30 races that it took you to get confident what were some of the biggest lessons you learned um that's a good question you guys ask a lot of good questions <laughs> biggest lessons i've learned i mean so are you talking about from a racing standpoint point or like a training standpoint or both we want both, both. we want okay. the whole bucket the whole bucket <laughs> all all of your knowledge mike (laughs) uh so racing wise like so i i probably i struggle with questions similar to this because 
um, everybody's different and like the things that work for me might not work for you. Um, but I feel like the biggest lesson I've learned with my racing is not to overthink it. Um, I used to, like, I used to be very, very particular about my planning for an ultra. Like I would create these charts and like aid station one, I'm going to be there in two hours, aid station three, I'll be there in four hours and 15 minutes. And, um, these are the things I'm going to need. And then like, you know, like, I'd, first of all, I'd stress out a lot leading up to the race, like trying to put all that together. Yeah. <laughs> and then especially like for a 200, like I would, I would try to, cause the other thing with 200s that a lot of people don't realize you have to plan for is like, you're planning for multiple days of weather. So like, you know, I'd, I'd pull up the weather app and be like, okay, like day one is going to be hot. Day two is going to have a 30% chance of rain with a 90% chance of rain at 6 PM. And day three is going to be a mix of both. Like, so there's just like, there's a lot of stuff that I was trying to plan for. And, you know, with your drop black bag placements at these aid stations, it was like, you know, like I'm not rich, so I don't have 10 rain jackets that I can strategically place all throughout the course. So like I had to like figure out where I was most likely going to need that rain jacket. Um, so I would just stress for days leading up to the event, planning this kind of stuff. And then when I get into the actual race, like, you know, with my aid station splits, um, if I was like, if I was like five minutes off, more than five minutes off, I'd like freak out. Um, I'd start throwing a pity party and then like, I'd start walking really slow. I'd get to the next aid station and be like, what's the point? And take 30 extra minutes changing my shoes at that aid station and <laughs> end up finishing my race. like five hours slower than I could have if I just like, accepted that that's how I was feeling in the moment and like giving myself the chance to regroup so like going into my races now like I I don't plan I don't plan jack <laughs> like really like half the like a lot of times we'll get into races and we're going to the next aid station and like I'm running with people and they're like hey so it's like 18 miles to the next aid station right and I'm like I have no idea how far it is to the next aid station like I'm just I'm just running and they'd pull awesome. it. like what are you gonna do at eight like you know mingus mountain aid station and i'm like i have no idea where mingus mountain aid station is like i i know <laughs> nothing about the races that oh, i do <laughs> and like even these 200s you would think i would know know it because i've done them so much but like i don't pay any attention so like i still don't know the name of aid stations at these 200s that i've done and That's you know for awesome. me that just made it so i could just run in the moment and I think that was huge for me because it was what I needed to be able to get myself to the finish line a little bit quicker. Um, like if I, if I'm hurting and I'm taking long at this aid station, then, you know, so be it. Like I'm going to bounce back because like for 200, it's like you're out there for days. So it's like, I have plenty of time to bounce back and make up this time right now where I'm going a little bit slower because my foot hurts a little bit. Um, so just running in the moment, not like being super particular about my plans and just like accepting that like it all evens out. Um, I'm going to get to the finish when I get to the finish. If I just like keep pushing forward, I'm going to have some good moments. I'm going to have some bad moments. Just So just, just accepting the race and not like being so crazy about the plan to get yourself to the finishes helped me out a lot. Um, I'd say that's the biggest piece of advice I give a lot of people. Like, don't be stupid, obviously. Like, um, this yeah. is like ha be safe. Like, have the rain, have that rain jacket somewhere. 
Um, for me, like the answer was, I'm just going to carry this rain jacket with me for the entire race. So I don't have to worry about where I'm going to put it. So, you know, take care of yourself and be safe, but like choose the plan that's going to like give you the least stress. To I got, yeah. yeah, that makes, that makes sense. Total sense. I like that. So basically you've learned how to be present, just be in the moment instead yep. of worrying. I like, yeah, that like the, the biggest time, like the biggest what am I trying to say? Like when I learned this the most, like the biggest aha moment I had, I was at Bigfoot 200 in 2019. Um, I got, so the thing about Bigfoot is like the aid stations are so remote that your crew is just like driving the whole time because like some aid stations are like four hours of driving before they get to it. Yeah. Like one of those aid stations, um, like I actually was able to run it faster then my crew was able to drive it. That's <laughs> awesome. This was just like this is mile 42. It was like seven-ish at night. Like the sun was barely up still. We we're about to go up a huge climb and a storm was rolling in. So my crew had some stuff I needed. And you know, I got there and this this is the race that where I like decided to have this approach. Like, because the race before that was Western States. And that was the race when I like sabotaged my race because nothing was going according to my plan. Mm -hmm. So Bigfoot was like the first race when I was like, I'm going to try this new approach. So like the old me would have freaked out, but I was just like, okay, I'm going to take my shoes off. going to go get a towel, clean my feet. I'm going to stretch. I'm going to eat some food, talk to the volunteers and like, I just chose to have a good time and just kind of accept it and wait for my crew. And, you know, they were like there 25 minutes later and like, you know, in the grand scheme of a 206 mile race, 25 minutes is nothing. And so I I just made an opportunity out of it and took care of myself and got the stuff I needed and then took off and made up for it later. And, you know, who knows, I probably went faster because I took 20 minutes to stretch and take care of myself. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Plus it's less work if I don't have to plan stuff. So I think Jacob is thinking, thank, thank you, Mike, for saying all this. Cause Jacob is always trying to calm me down. I'm the worrier. He's when he trains, I'm like, so what are you going to do this week? Or what's your plan? And he's like, I oh, don't know. Jacob just runs whatever he feels like running. And I'm, I'm like how you used to be. I, when you're like, I used to make these charts and I literally spent hours yesterday mapping out my entire training year what i'm gonna run every single day and wow. uh, i'm like maybe <laughs> that was a little too intense and just looking at that <laughs> overwhelms me <laughs> that's a lot of work yeah <laughs> I but, tried, but oh go ahead okay i was just gonna i was just gonna get at so you know we talking about you know we asked you that question about like you know, what have you learned or what, what have you taken away from running these, you know, first 30 ultras? Um, maybe I want to rephrase that a little bit now that we, we got that technical part down about, you know, just going with the flow. What about like, after you started down this ultra journey, like, why did you keep going back and signing up for more, you know, like what kept you saying, I want to do 50 miles now. Now I want to do hundred miles. Now I think I want to go for two hundreds, you know, like what, what brought that upon you? Yeah, I, um, yeah, that's another good question. I, I've answered it a lot, but I never like know quite how to answer it. 
just because like I had a lot of issues with my first races. Um, <clears throat> so like, I always like wonder why I did keep signing up because like, it wasn't it really, honestly, it wasn't fun. Like my first couple of years, just cause I always had so many issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but something just kept bringing me back to it. And, you know, in the moment, I probably didn't know what it is, but like in retrospect, I think that, um, a big part of it is just like the fact that I can do it. Um, because like when I broke my back, I was put into that position where like, even though I was told I wasn't going to be paralyzed, but I I was told I was going to be like in bed for a while. And like, you know, for that foreseeable future, I had running taking away from me and that wasn't comfortable and made me really sad. But, you know, I, I, now that I have running and I am able to do it and, you know, even though it sucks to run 50 miles and puke a lot and lose your energy, but like, I I still had, like my legs could still go through that and my body still allowed me to do that, even though it was a struggle. So I think a lot of it was just because, just because I I could do it. And, um, you know, I wanted to keep doing stuff that my body would allow me to do when, when, um, you know, you never know when that's going to get taken away from you, (laughs) but yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, it's kind of like what I come to when I get asked that question, but like, but yeah, in the moment, like I obviously, I, I don't think I was thinking that in the moment, like, so I don't, I don't know why in the moment I kept doing it, but there's just something there that was pushing me to keep doing it. <laughs> you think it's kind of like a drug? You get addicted to it? Yeah, yeah, but, but, oh, that's, that's a, <laughs> like, like right now, yes, because like, you know, all these great things are happening. I just love how I feel. And like, I finally figured out how to do this without like, um, like overly suffering. Like, obviously you're going to suffer, but like, you know, I finally figured out how to take care of my stomach issues. I finally figured out how to avoid injury for the most part. Um, so like, yeah, like right now it's like, yeah, this is definitely feels like a drug in my mind, but you know, at the time, like there was like just so much suffering involved. So, um, yeah, it was kind of, I guess it's a weird drug a lot of times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you talk about the suffering that you went through, particularly in your first few ones that it wasn't even fun. Um, how did you push through the suffering? Just a good supportive crew was really the only thing that did it for me. Um, and I think like, I just, like I, yeah. So I guess to go back to the other question, like I feel like ultra runners have an addictive personality. Um, so I think the other thing that kept me going through that was just like, like I have this, I have this addictive personality to it was like, like, I, I know that if I get to the finish, I'm going to feel better. Um, so like, I think I was yearning for that feeling. Um, so just like the yearning of feeling like accomplished and, um, okay a lot but yeah i definitely my crew too like there's lots of times i almost quit but if i didn't like if it wasn't for my crew i would have quit that makes sense i I remember the uh the night before me and melody ran our first hundred um i was freaking out (laughs) and we were like like nauseous yeah 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 yeah. and and i remember um thinking you know as we were talking to each other you know because we were running it together and uh 
And I remember thinking that, okay, you know, how am I going to, cause I know like when I'm at mile, like 60 or 70 or whatever, wherever it comes and I want to quit, how am I going to get through it? You know? And I remember thinking to myself, well, if I quit at mile 60, I'm going to probably go home and just go to bed and feel terrible because my body hurts, but also feel terrible because I finished. I didn't, I didn't finish or I just pushed through and either way. So I was just telling myself, you know what, either way I'm going to hurt at this point. So why not go another 40 miles, you know, and then at least I'll feel accomplished with a hurt body. Do you feel like, so you talked about liking the feeling of accomplishment of finishing a race and you feel good. I'm just curious, have you ever had like a spiritual experience on the trail or maybe a spiritual experience when you cross the finish line? Um, I mean, yeah. So in ta- the Tahoe 200 in 2017, um, I don't know if you guys have had Ben on your podcast or not. Or we haven't sure. yet. Okay. Uh, ben Light, local trail runner. He and I are pretty good friends. And um, it was actually Bigfoot 2017 that he and I met. Um, and he's the one that kind of talked me into doing the Triple Crown that year. I, I was just planning on doing the Bigfoot 200. <clears throat> but we got into Tahoe and he and I like kept going, like he'd pass me, I'd pass him. And we just kept going back and forth. And um, I ended up getting to mile 100, like 15 minutes before him. And I was like really struggling with my IT band. And he showed up, um, his wife was there, who's a massage therapist. And she was like kind of digging into me, trying to fix my IT band problems. And then we left that, that aid station together and like nothing was like, it didn't help at all. Like my IT band still killed and I could barely walk. And so, um, and actually it was that moment that we stopped and he gave me a blessing um and the blessing just said that you know basically I'd find it in myself to finish and um you know later that night so it was actually the next aid station it took me like six hours to get to the next aid station just because I walked it all um I got to that aid station and I dropped and like I gave them my bib and everything and this was like five months after we had our firstborn son um so I was just sitting in the car like miserable and my wife was feeding our son and um long story short just like sitting there in that car I just had like that inner debate like like ugh, you're you're similar to the debate you had with with yourself Jacob like I just was like I'm, I'm at 100 and I think it was mile 140 or so it's like I'm at 140 I only got 60 miles to go like Like if I have to just walk it in, I can, I I have that option. So I found it in myself. Like I got out of the car, they gave me my bid back and um, I was actually able to start running for the next like 40 miles. Um, And then about mile 185 or so, it all went to crap again and I had to walk it in. But, you know, it was just pretty cool that the next aid station after that blessing that Ben gave me that, you know, it all worked out and I was able to keep going. It's neat. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that story. That's, you know, it's just awesome to hear stuff like that. Cause you know, like we said, we, we hear about the successes and it just is fun to kind of get into the details of it all. And, and, and to just hear about 
how, you know, you have struggles too. And anyways, I just think that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm super glad I met them. Like, I mean, my thinking back, I, I didn't know anybody else at the time. So if I never met him, I wouldn't have had him to help me through all that. So yeah, it all worked out. We all need our running buddy, right? We, yep. I wouldn't run if it weren't for Jacob and he wouldn't have gotten into ultra runners. If it weren't for me, we kind of, yeah. you need your running buddy. For right. sure. Looking back at your training, how did, what did you change to like address those, your gut issues? How did you figure that out? How did you address like your IT band issues? Like what were, what did you learn through those first few ones? And as you kept going that like, oh, if I do this, this makes me feel better. Are you, are you asking? So like, what did you change in your training from beginner ultra days to yes. current ultra days? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd say the two things are like, I made a lifestyle change essentially in how I ate daily. And then I started implementing strength training. Um, so the, the lifestyle change fixed my gut issues and then the strength training fixed my IT band issues. Um, the, the quick answer for the IT band issues was I just started implementing lower body mobility exercises. So like glute bridges, wall sits, lateral band walks, <clears throat> stuff that was engaging my hips and my glutes that I wasn't previously engaging by just focusing on running. Um, so that kind of helped alleviate the muscle imbalances that I was developing. Um, and I mean, like I, I had IT band issues all the time and ever since starting like consistently strength training, like I, I started in 2017 and I haven't had IT band issues since. So it's wow. been five years, um, where I haven't had anything significantly like take me out. And then the gut issues. So, um, I'm a, I'm a larger runner. Like I am tall and then I'm, I'm broad. So like I hear of all these runners, it's like, Oh, if I get down to 140, like I'm going to be at my race weight. And I'm like, I'm just hoping to stay under 180. <laughs> 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 I, have like, I have a little bit more weight and body mass than a lot of runners. So I found that like, the majority of my gut issues came because I was trying to eat what my body needed to get me to the finish line. And I just like, my body just wouldn't digest it that well. And mm -hmm. so like I got in the cycle where I'd have gut issues cause I was trying to get the calories, couldn't digest it. And then I started having issues where I'd like lose energy because I was like, well, if I don't eat as much, then I'm not going to have gut issues. And yeah. That was the case, but I lost energy because I didn't get the energy I needed. So I stumbled uh, upon the low carb, like ketogenic approach. And just from the science that I saw on that, that you could train your body to burn fat for fuel, um, which like, you know, our bodies store a significantly larger amount of fat than glucose. And so you know, in my head, I was like, okay, that's going to fix my bonking issues. Because if I'm a, if I'm a steady, consistent fat burner, then I'm going to have like tons of fat to last me through the race. And then, um, because I'm having that steady fat burning, um, I, I don't have to eat as much. So like in my head, I was just like, okay, I don't have to eat as much. So that's going to fix my gut issues. And then I'm going to be burning fat consistently. So that's going to fix my energy issues. So I started doing that in 2017 and like, I just started like seeing immediate success from it and noticed the stricter I was with it, the more success I saw with it. So it was about 20, 
2018, end of 2018, when I like finally just like decided to go all in and like be pretty strict with it. Whereas in the earlier years I was cheating a lot, but yeah, so that, that lifestyle change in eating cleaner foods and eating more fat so I could train my body to be a fat burner is kind of what helped with the nutritional issues. Cool. I think it's awesome. I think it's awesome what you do with your diet. I'm, I'm just curious. So I know this, this like fat burning, this keto approach is it's getting bigger and bigger, bigger, more and more people are realizing that it works for them. And I've seen a lot of males talk about how, how it works for them. I'm curious, do you know anything about, um, keto for female athletes? If- yeah. So I know the data is not as good out there for females. Um, yeah. <clears throat> Uh, there's a group that I, that I work with, like we're doing studies on fat adaptation and, you know, they bring in females and they're trying to like show some positive data around it. But I think like taking a back step though, um, like, I think a lot of like, there's a lot of issues that people have with a low carb approach, like specific, specifically nutritionists. Um, mm-hmm. and I think like the majority of those issues come because they hear, like, and and I admit fault to this too. Like, that's why I'm starting to like say low carb approach, but I used to say a keto approach, Mm. you know, keto, like is 30 grams of carbs or less a day, um, which is not what we're doing. Like, you know, today I I had an apple, I had some grapes, I had some almond flour tortillas yesterday. I had some potatoes. So like, you know, I, I, in my training, I'm getting like in my peak training, I'm getting about 150 grams of carbs a day which like Mm. compared to a keto approach, like it's obviously not keto. You're getting three times the amount of carbs that you would doing a strict keto diet. But like in comparison to the standard American diet, it's like, you know, most Americans are getting 400 grams or more of carbs a day. So it's, it's a low carb approach. And I, I think like the females that I know who do this approach and see success in it, they're just like, they're doing a little bit more carbs than I'm doing. So you know, where I'm doing 150 grams, like they're maybe getting closer to 200 grams. So oh, wow. keto-esque, like, yeah, that's not great. Like, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know how sustainable keto is for anybody, male or female, but like when you start carb timing and upping your carbs and then females going a little bit higher than males, but still being slightly low carb, like mm-hmm. you know, it all balances out. That answered so many questions I have about nutrition. I have been trying to figure this out for the past like year and a half. And that made everything make sense. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) All we're trying to do is be a dual fuel burner. Like, you know, I, I see people who comment about me and they're like, no, he doesn't eat carbs. And I'm like, like, there's a reason my Instagram handle is the low carb runner and not the keto runner or the carnivore runner like I do eat carbs and I'm just trying to teach my body to steadily burn fat and then when I do eat my carbs in my race like burn right through it like it's rocket fuel basically my body will switch over and burn that for fuel because like my body's used to fat burning like I can go right back into fat burning and like keep being consistent so like the whole low carb approach is just trying to teach your body to be efficient at both glucose and fat burning that's awesome. That makes so much more sense. I love that. 
Okay. This is, so this is a, a totally different topic. This is something that I've also been trying to figure out is how, how do you slowly ramp up your mileage throughout the years? Because I mean, we all know that you slowly want to ramp it up, but then in the off season, what we've learned, we take a lot of our training from the book training for the uphill athlete and in training for the uphill athlete, it says to cut your mileage in half during the off season. And so what we've done is we take about two months off and we cut our peak mileage in half and we maintain that for a couple of months. And then we start building again. But what's happened for a couple of years is we cut our mileage in half and then we start building again. And it's like, we always get to the same peak mileage every single year. How, how do you start to, how do you grow from there? Do you know what I'm saying? Cause it, it's just hard to, to get to your peak and then you obviously can't maintain your peak. So then you have to drop, but then you have to build again, but then you get to your peak again and then you have to drop. So I think the answer with that is like, you know, obviously you're like, I don't know what, you have in mind for what you want to build your mileage to but like obviously there's going to be a point where you're stopping so mm-hmm. like for me like my peak mileage like like I occasionally hit 100 mile weeks like and when I say occasionally it's like twice a year like my peak is like in the 85 mile range <clears throat> and that's with about 10 to 15,000 feet of climbing um, okay. so like that's peak for me and it took me a few years to get to that and um um like so what I'm saying is is like I'm never going to get above that like that's that's always the peak that I'm working to out of my off season and so like obviously like there's a point that you want to aim for and like that's your point to aim for and you don't need to like keep trying to build off of that mm-hmm. but like I've never read the uphill athlete so I don't know like all the protocols in that but like the way that I would like counsel somebody that I'm coaching is like, you know, start building a few weeks earlier, for example, like, cause there's no, there's no set definition for what the off season is. That's based off of your race schedule. And for some people, like they're racing so much, they don't even have an off season and like they've made it work where that doesn't like overly fatigue their bodies. So like, like you're in control of what, how long your off season is. And so, like if you want to, if, if you keep hitting this like mileage that you're trying to get past, then I would just say like sign up for a race a month earlier than when you typically would. And that way you can start building a little bit sooner. Um, and I mean, obviously like you're going to hit, like if you're doing that, that race a month sooner then obviously like it's going to equal out by the time you get to that race. But like by doing it a month sooner, like you have a little bit longer of an on season. So you don't have to go into your off season as early or whatever. So just like strategically planning your races so that you can start building a little bit more than like sooner than what you're used to. Um, and then I also think too, like when I, when I build people's plans for running, um, like I do a lot of mixes of different weeks, even during their peak season. So like I do quality weeks where you're doing speed work focus, like you might not be getting as much mileage as you would during a volume week, but you're making sure they're quality miles. So you're doing speed work. Um, and then like the next week later, maybe do a volume week and like, they might even double their mileage for that week, um, compared to what they were doing in the quality week. So like, I I choose to like sprinkle in different training strategies during their actual training plan. Like even if it's during the on season. So 
Like, I think it's good to not just be tied down to April to October is the on season. So I'm doing high mileage and then November to whatever I said, March is the off season. So I'm doing half that mileage, but more so just like sprinkling in the recovery, recovery weeks every month of the year. Um, and maybe even cutting your mileage in half, like once a month and adding volume in during the off season, like you can kind of be well balanced throughout the year still too. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you. Thanks for explaining that. We ask every guest we have on the podcast, um, what would you tell someone approaches you says, Oh Mike, yeah, you run those ultras. Like, that's so cool. Like I've actually have wanted to run an ultra myself, but I just don't know if I can do it or if I have the time or, you know, like, I just don't know if I have that sort of capacity in me. Like, like, what would you tell someone who says, ask you, like, what would you tell me? You know, what would you tell me, Mike? I want to run my first ultra. What would you tell me um, in order to help me succeed in that? Well, the first thing I would say is to decide. Like, it's not like if you want to do an ultra, like you're going to make it work. Like, it's not a question of if you have time or not. Like, if you want to do it, then just make it work. Um, so I would tell them first to decide. And, and with that, I would say, like, make sure that you're doing this out of the love for it and not because like you have to, like, if you start training for a race and to find out you hate it, then who cares that you spent hundred bucks on a race? Like, don't do it. Like this might not be for you. So decide, figure it out. If it's for you, make sure you're doing this for the love of it. Um, the people that I coach, like I get asked all the time, like, Hey, I missed my seven mile run today. Should I make it up? And like, I always just say to them, do you want to make it up? And if they say yes, and I'll say, okay, do it. Like, if you don't want to make it up, then don't make it up because that's when it turns into like a chore and you're not doing this for the love of it. So like get to a point where this is something that you love doing and then just be consistent with it. Like, you know, in that situation, the person that skipped their run for whatever reason, like, like if they, like a lot of times too, I'll tell them like, like, if you don't want to make it up then don't make it up, but like go out and run for 15 or 20 minutes, like go do a mile, like shake those legs up and do it at an easy pace. So, you know, make sure you're doing it for the love of it, but then also be consistent with it. So like, you know, we're all human. We all have jobs. We all have family. Like if it just gets to the point where it's like all of a sudden seven o'clock at night and you haven't had time to do your 10 miler, then like, you know, get your, like, you can still do the mental training of it. You can still lace your shoes up. You can still get out the door and you can start running and just like at least get that 10 to 15 minutes in and stay consistent. So those are kind of three different answers, I guess, but like, you know, decide, do it for the love of it and then just stay consistent with it. I love that. That's awesome. I think that's great advice. It is. Trail Runner Nation, they always say one is greater than zero, right? Even if you, you go run for, for five minutes, that's better than, than doing nothing. Yeah. So I like that. Awesome. Chances are too, though, like chances are once you're out, you're going to do your 10 miles. Like the hardest part is getting out the door. We always say that. So like chances are, if you're like, okay, I'm going to do my 10 minutes. Like you're going to get out there and be like, oh, I want to do 30 minutes. And then I want to do 40 minutes. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. It just starts flowing together. Exactly. Yeah. So where can, uh, where can people find you who are listening to this podcast? Maybe they want to coach or they want to reach out. Yeah. So low carb runner or the low carb runner on Instagram and then low carb dash runner on uh, my website. 
and those are the two main places and then i'm up in northern utah if you're ever up here just come i like i love taking people for runs and yeah those are the awesome. main okay and we'll put all that in the show notes so and he's a great a guy everyone so <laughs> anyways mike thank you so much for coming on uh tonight this this has been really enlightening for us and fun for us to to be able to talk to you and uh keep doing what you're doing because you inspire inspire us us. thank you thank you for joining us today thanks for joining us here on trail to 100 make sure you uh go out and uh give us a rating Tell us what you think of the podcast. You can rate on Spotify now, yes. so rate us on yeah, Spotify. Yeah, we just saw that the other day because we logged on to our own podcast and it said no rating. And so we're like, oh, we got to give ourselves a rating here. Anyways, give us a rating. Let us know what you think. And we will talk to you all next time.